Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. This is Stephen Robles and today, Seth and Nerva interviewed the CEO and founder of Charisma Magazine, Steve Strang. Steve Strang talks about some of his experiences in journalism and ministry and also talks about his new book, God, Trump, and the 2020 Election. It's an incredible interview. You don't want to miss it. Before we get to it, we want to remind you once again of our longtime sponsor, Impact 360. Again, right now, if you have some extra time at home, we really encourage you to check out those online courses from Impact 360. They're great to do as a family, especially if you have high school or college students teaching about truth, worldview, and defending the resurrection. Go to impact360.org and use the promo code FREEMIND to get $25 off. Also, if you have a graduating senior in high school, we encourage you to take a look at Impact 360's Gap Year program. It's a nine-month program where they can go to Impact 360 and experience and learn the entire Impact 360 curriculum. They learn about worldview and truth, and it really prepares them with a solid foundation before they go off to college and engage with culture. And you can apply and get your application fee waived if you use the promo code FREEMIND. So check out both the Gap Year program and the online courses from impact360.org. And now, here's the interview with Steve Strang, CEO and founder of Charisma Magazine. Stephen Strang, we're so grateful that you could be with us today. Thank you for taking time out to talk about probably one of the most heated and debated topics of all time but before we dive of our of our time for sure but before we dive in would you do us a favor and um tell our listeners a little bit about your background well i'm glad to and thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast Uh, i'm usually on the other side of the microphone uh, because i have my own podcast called the strang report on the charisma podcast network notice how i uh, slid in that shameless promotion. Oh, yeah, love, it. It. love it. <laughs> yeah. We actually highly recommend that podcast, yes. too. We've been listening to it like crazy. It's so. so good. Well, yeah. thank okay. you. Um, my background, well, um, was raised in the church. My father was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. Um, I'm actually from Lakeland, Florida, which is your yeah. stop, old stomping ground. And uh, went from... Uh, Lakeland High School to the University of Florida down the street in Gainesville and was trained in journalism. In fact, I really started my journalism career in high school and working for the Ledger. You would know the Ledger. Amazing. And, uh, you know, just as a, you know, a cub reporter, but I decided to make it my life's work. But in my 20s, I uh, became dissatisfied with just uh, uh, pursuing a secular journalism career. I, I could kind of see where it was headed. The Media was very liberal back then, and um, and and pretty anti-Christian. Although I I don't know that I ever personally experienced it, but um, it certainly limited your career. Mm-hmm. And I had an idea to start a, a magazine. It started as a little church magazine. We called it Charisma. It was kind of the height of the charismatic movement. Of course, the charismatic movement is is continuing in many ways and is in some ways bigger than ever. But the charismatic movement where you heard about Episcopalians receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Catholics and full gospel businessmen and Catherine Kuhlman and Dennis Bennett and Jamie Buckingham and all that kind of thing. Of course, you know, that was a previous generation and things have moved on. But by God's grace, Charisma Magazine grew. And so we, you know, we began to publish other magazines and later books uh, we've pub- I, Someone asked me recently, and I went back and looked into it, we have about 2,000 books in print, believe it or not, wow. and um, 
you know, over a number of years. Our biggest book ever was The Harbinger by Jonathan Kahn. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so somebody asked me, what are we? And I said, well, we used to say we were a Christian publishing house, but now we say we're a Christian media company. And, of course, we do a lot more than uh, books with the podcasts and, you know, uh, everything online. Uh, my work has, uh, is very interesting. It's allowed me to go around the world. I've met, you know, virtually and interviewed many of the uh, Christian leaders we've done. In fact, uh, in some ways, a rite of passage is, is uh, for a ministry that's kind of rising, whether it was T.D. Jakes or Marilyn Hickey back in the day or just lots of people was being on the cover of Charisma. Now, we didn't really plan for it that way, but, you know, it, it's because we were looking at what's going on, trying to discern what the Holy Spirit is doing, uh, trying to be a communication among different areas of the body of Christ, because, you know, the, the, the black Pentecostals barely know about the, what the Word of Faith movement is doing, which barely knows anything about the Catholic Charismatics, which certainly don't know about the Assemblies of God. And yeah. yet, you know, uh, we're all the body of Christ. And of course, there are many, many more examples than the a couple that I just threw out. And so that's kind of been our place. And, you know, for a long time doing that was in print and people would subscribe. And once a month, we'd send them this wonderful magazine with teaching articles and talking about trends, sometimes talking about controversies. I was on with uh, Jim Baker yesterday. We recorded a program on Skype and he uh, and we were just talking about the fact that I first interviewed him in 1983. I flew up to Charlotte and. Um, I would have been barely 30 years old, and I shadowed him for a day, and PTL was big and huge, and he had a huge vision, and he had all the success, and he was getting a lot of criticism in the church for kind of being pompous and being full of himself, and, uh, but, you know, but I also saw that he was really kind of a gentle guy that loved Jesus and was trying to do good, but, you know, he had, he was bringing in $150 million a year. And I mean, that was back when 150 million was worth 150 million. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, he was just a poor guy from Muskegon, Michigan, that went to Central Bible College, and one thing led to another, and all of a sudden he was talking to presidents and everything else. And, you know, unfortunately in 1987, it all kind of spun out of control, and we were talking about that. And he went to prison, and then he came out. In fact, I did an op ed, I actually did it uh, earlier the week that we're recording this, and uh, he's back in the news again with this COVID-19 thing uh, on uh, February 12th, because I went over all this this week, of course, writing the op-ed and then later being on a show. But um, he, he uh, pays for airtime, not only with donations, which he does take, but also selling product. And a lot of them are Christian books, but he sells, he sells uh, health supplements and stuff like that. And one of them is something called some kind of silver. There's like different kinds, and I'm always a little bit confused on if I'm using the right word. But it's a product I've used. It, it's to build up your immune system and all this stuff. And they've sold it for 10 years without controversy. And then on the 12th of February, they actually recorded it on the 5th, which was just a couple of days after President Trump put in the ban. And well, and six weeks or five weeks before they started doing the... Um, you know, uh, why do they call it sheltering in place or the uh, quarantines and that type of thing. And people were just starting to talk about it. And on the show, uh, they said that it would help build up your immunity system. 
and that it helped against some viruses, but they clearly said it did not, it had not been tested for COVID-19, which is brand new. I mean, they only gave it the name COVID-19, I think on the 7th of January, which was like one month before. And, um, but people have taken that to say that he was selling a cure for COVID-19. And there were petitions to take him off the air and oh this and that. And, and, um, and then, then the story went this way. This guy built millions in the 80s and went to prison. And now he's at it again. Oh. And, you know, that's, that's awful. He did go to prison. He didn't really build. They, they caught him on almost a, a technicality. It was like they were looking for something, almost like if I could make a comparison to President Trump, they were looking for anything to impeach him on. So they, they found this, this whistleblower told him about a phone call in which if you sort of pretended maybe said something that in hindsight he shouldn't have said, but it was, there was nothing wrong with it really. Yeah. And it, it wasn't exactly the same with Baker, but they, uh, they just caught him out of technicality. And the famous lawyer, Alan Dertzowitz, uh, who's a, you know, a retired Harvard law professor and has, and has uh, defended many, many uh, famous people. And lately, he's been a defender of President Trump in this whole impeachment mess, mm-hmm. even though he is himself a liberal Democrat. But he heard about Jim Baker's case and thought it was such an injustice that he actually volunteered to uh, defend him pro bono, and they got him out. He had served five years at that point. He was in for 45 years. Oh, wow. And... Um, it was just a mess. So anyway, you know, did Jim Baker do things wrong? Yes. And he admits it. I mean, he wrote a book about a 500 page book and the title of it was I was wrong. Mm. And he went into like all the details about his time in prison and the time leading up to it and that type of thing. But, you know, he's trying to preach the gospel, but people just attack him. He's almost like a lightning rod. And, you know, the thing is that the people who hate him and would like to get him off the air hate you and me too. They just don't know about us. And um, so I felt that I should write an op-ed. And in fact, if any of your listeners want a copy of it, they could go to the website for my book, which I'm going to talk about anyway, it's called GodTrump2020.com. It's a shortened version of the book. It's GodTrump2020.com. And on that, I actually put a copy of the op-ed because I did the same thing for Jim Baker's listeners. If they went to the website, they could get it for free. And uh, I just wrote the facts. And I have been, you know, I have been doing this probably longer than you're alive. And I write thousands and hundreds of thousands and over the course of my life probably millions of words and I get feedback but I don't get that much feedback I mean you don't you know if you're if you're a preacher uh, people you can see people going to sleep in the audience or you can see them walking out same thing with a an actor or musicians if you're in a live concert situation but when you're doing print or digital you don't get the response from the people and so I don't get that much response but Mm. I've had all kinds of people saying, thank you for standing with Jim Baker. And apparently I was the first one to do it because if you Googled it, everything came up negative mm-hmm. because all of the, you know how there's all these groups that hate conservatives or hate the deplorables or hate, and they're all the way from Black Lives Matter to um, Antifa and mm-hmm. on and on and on. Well, there's groups like that that go after ministries. And uh, there was a lot of stuff online. And a lot of condemnation. And listen, 
on the surface, it sounds bad. In fact, I said on Jim Baker's show, I said, if you had said, if you're dying of COVID-19 and you'd have no hope, well, here, buy this from me and take it and you will get better. I said, Jim, if you had said that, I would have been the first one to criticize you. But you, he didn't say that. He didn't say it at all. He, he was probably unwise to mention a supplement in the same program as COVID-19 because people misunderstand and of course everybody's afraid of it and of course everyone's looking for a cure or a vaccine or something he did not say it wow uh but these people saw an opportunity to pounce on him and all these ministries now are coming to his defense it's really kind of neat what happened i found out today that a big ministry that you'd know the name of if i mentioned it they were going to send him a donation they didn't really know what was going on they'd heard a little bit in the news you know they didn't if jim had really said that they didn't want to or I, I should say I'm speculating that's how they felt because I don't really know. But, you know, generally, in fact, that was probably my attitude the first week or two. I I didn't really know what to think. I was kind of waiting for the Baker ministry to issue a statement. They never did. They're not really good at defending themselves. So I don't know why I'm telling you this. No, except so good. That I've had, you know, this is just kind of my life. And I think the people appreciate the op-ed I did and – also, if people, uh, let's see, it's a PDF to download. Actually, people could go find it online. You could go to the strangreport.com, which is actually my newsletter. I have a newsletter tied into my podcast, and they could take the URL and put it on their own Facebook mm-hmm. page and send it around to people. You know, I mean, this is how we kind of get the word out because the secular journalists and, uh, you know, first of all, most of them have a mindset that, you know, Christian, you know, first of all, they're for abortion and they're probably for anything goes in the area of sexuality and that kind of thing. And so people that uh, talk about the Bible, that have principles, they're almost like a threat. Mm, like, sure. you know, if if you guys get the upper hand, you're going to make us quit, you know, doing whatever their favorite sin is. I mean, that's kind of a yeah. slightly humorous, simplistic way to say it. And so they consider us a threat. They really do. And, uh, and they're, they're not going to want to write anything good about a Christian. If anything, they just ignore what we do. And if there's anything kind of sensational, they report on that. And I had a, I don't do this real often because I am not people's PR department, if you know what I mean. I'm just not. I'm a, you know, we try to be arm's length. Mm-hmm. We do th- see things from the biblical uh, point of view. We think that... You, we believe in Jesus. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in spreading the gospel. We believe in being supportive of the body of Christ. Amen. But we're not we're not PR people. You know, we're journalists. That's how I was trained. That's kind of the role that I've played. But something like this came up. It must have been last summer. Uh, and there was, uh, let's see if I can remember the show. It was Inside Edition. It's kind of a TV magazine, and they did an ambush interview on Kenneth Copeland. He was somewhere, and he was coming out and getting into his car. He had like... I saw that. I remember watching that. Go ahead. And this lady, you know, this young reporter, uh, rushes up with a microphone and sticks it in his face and starts asking him questions about why does he have his own own, uh, airplane, and why does he take all the money from widows and orphans and... She didn't say it quite that way, but when I saw that, I thought, this is typical journalism. Mm -hmm. I said, I could almost predict the questions and what they're going to say, and 
you know, of course, there's probably a couple of widows that support Kenneth Copeland, but he's not taking money for widows. They just happen to be a widow and they, you know, they want to support his ministry. That's not taking money. He's got a huge ministry. He flies all over doing meetings. And at some point, it's less expensive and easier to have your own plane than it is to fly everybody commercial. You know, one time he was making a joke. You know, he's from Texas and they, they have a kind of a corn pone sense of humor. And he was saying that he didn't like commercial because it was like being in a tin can with a bunch of demons. And he was, he was making a joke. And listen, on some of the, I've been on some flights that felt like that, I'll tell you. But he was not calling people demons. He wasn't. He was just talking about being cooped up and it wasn't very much fun. And uh, so she was asking him about that. And, and uh, so I just, I did a podcast. I just did a podcast. I just talked to Mike and I said, this is my people. In fact, people can look it up on the Charisma Podcast Network and the Strang Report if they want to listen to it. And, you know, you can probably search for Copeland and find it, but it was last summer and they're all in order. So if nothing else, you can just kind of flip through it and find it. And there was an overwhelming, you know, at the time my podcast was getting like maybe 10 or 15,000 on a good one. And I got like 55,000 on that one. It was the biggest one I'd had at the time. I've had some bigger ones since then, but it just resonated with people. And, you know, because I knew the journalism business and I was just able to say, this is what they do. Part of it goes back. There's a mindset in our culture going back all the way to the middle ages where St. Francis had his monks uh, beg for their, you know, they, they couldn't work and earn. They had to beg Uh. for food and there's a mindset that preachers should have to beg for food and anybody who doesn't. And at the end, she admits that her grandfather, I'm assuming he was a good man, but he had a small church and I guess he kind of struggled. And she just had a problem with her grandfather, who was such a good man, in her opinion. And, you know, seeing all these preachers with the big incomes and, the, and all the fancy suits and, you know, whatever else they'd say. And, um, you know, Kenneth, to his credit, he talked, he stopped and talked to the girl. He gave her a little lesson on seed faith giving from the Bible. He he made it clear that he was not calling the people on the airplane demons. He was just, you know, kind of being humorous. Uh, He he prays for her. He doesn't ask her. He just starts praying for her. A lot of preachers would have slammed the door in her face and driven off. and And the TV interview would be, he wouldn't talk to me. You know, I guess in that way, I felt I should, part of it is I just get sick and tired of these things. Another thing they do, since I'm on a roll here. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there, there's okay. some new ministry that comes up at, let's say, mm-hmm. Rick Warren and Purpose Driven Life. And he writes this book that sold like 25 million copies or something. And all the secular people are going like, why? Are there really 25 million people in America who would plot down money for to find out about the purpose of their life and it has something to do with God. Who is this guy? Oh, he's from Southern California. Oh, he's got a successful church and a nice family. And so they do this really nice story. I've seen this happen again and again and again. You know, at some point you're sort of big enough to be a story. Well, actually what it is, is that the New York Times and the others that, you know, are a little more influential, they're actually kind of adding, you know, I guess maybe before the days of Wikipedia, but, you know, when somebody showed up in the newspaper, sort of everybody knew they were around and kind of knew about them and could maybe even keep an eye on them, so to speak. 
But then later on, they do this horrible, they blast you. I mean, uh, Jim Baker got a whole lot of positive publicity when he was, his TV network was growing and he was hiring people there in Charlotte and different things. But I say they build you up to tear you down. And you know what? It's not just Christians. I've heard insurance executives, politicians <laughs> gripe about the press in the same way. And, you know, back when I was in my 20s and just getting started in the news business, it was kind of like this, too. But now, of course, it's not just newspapers, but it's television. It's uh, 24-hour cable, which, of course, we'd never even heard back about back then. It's on the Internet. And also, uh, things are liberal, but a greater percentage of the whole are liberal. Back when I was there, I would say probably 70 or 75% of the press was liberal. Mm. And now it's got to be 95%. And and of the 95%, probably 40% are actually progressive. I mean, pretty far left. That's my impression as an observer. I did not do a study. Okay. That's just my trying to describe the news business and what's going on and we haven't talked at all about the president or <laughs> it's all good this the is book great. i'm sorry <laughs> you're totally fine this has been so insightful for sure you know i feel like we're gonna have to put an e for explicit on this episode because we have already mentioned uh jim baker here kenneth copeland and about to get into trump i don't know it's gonna light some people's hair <laughs> on fire but um well maybe so maybe maybe they'll listen to it and share it but right <laughs> rating i thought I thought you were going to say we had to put an R rating. I thought, I don't think we said anything R rating. <laughs> <laughs> no, just MA for mature audiences only. Um, no, but, maybe I for interesting instead of B for boring. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it's good because, you know, it is a lesson, you know, you're giving us in journalism and you being a journalist, you know, first of all, the pressure is on for us to ask good questions. But um, second of all, it just gives us, you know, kind of insight into seeing through what's going on because you know to be honest even in my mind growing up as a you know semi young person i just Wait think how do you grow up a semi young person well, I'm you're a, either young or you're right I'm, I'm, I'm still holding especially on to semi when you're especially when you're born you're very young. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly thank you uh but uh but being currently a semi young person and growing up um, just in the era that I grew up in, you know, I, I kind of have a, maybe you you might call it a caricaturist view of Jim Baker. So even when I hear about him in the news and I see a headline like that, I just assume, yeah, he's, you know, he's a weirdo. He's kind of doing that stuff. And I listened to your podcast yeah. on it the other day and I heard you kind of talk through what you talked through here. And I was like, huh. And, and, you know, it's not a surprise to me now because I feel like the media has been exposed even to young people like in the past three years. Hopefully anybody with, with eyes to see can see that they just are to the point where literally they can't just be trusted. And it's like, it's unfortunate because we have to depend on authorities. We can't, you know, do pro like primary document research on every single subject. And now, but now we're at a, um, we're in a position where it's like, man, who do we go to? Who do we trust? And it's so easy to just read the headline and just say, yeah, that's the way it is. And so it's good to have people like you um, kind of bring in more clarity to the issue and bring in truth. And, and you actually changed you know, you helped me understand a little bit more of what was going on behind the scenes with Jim Baker and maybe even open my eyes to see, huh, maybe he's not quite the caricature that, I, that I've just been assuming that he is over the years, if that makes sense. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad to know that. I did it because 
I felt it was the right thing to do. And I realized that nobody else did it. And when I, I think someone told me that they went online and they could not find one positive thing for Jim Baker. And, you know, first of all, when I heard about it, I tracked down the link of, of the show. I had not seen it. And I saw with my own eyes, they said, the first thing they said was, this has not been tested for COVID-19. However, it does help your immune system. And it just makes sense that if your immune system is stronger, that you're able to fight off, you know, different uh, things. I don't remember exactly how they worded it, but I thought, well, that makes sense to me. And, and uh, it was clear he did not say it was a cure. Clear. I also knew from reporting and knowing Jim, I would have known, I visited uh, PTL in the late 1970s. I did, I visited the show. I may have written about it. I don't remember for sure. There had to be a reason I was there. Maybe I was just checking it out. Uh, I did not have any interaction with Jim Baker. You know, he would have been, you know, big time. And I was probably in my mid-20s with a, you know, a little tiny magazine that he'd probably never even heard of at that point. By 83, I was able to get an interview. Of course, when that whole mess happened, it was just, it was a horrible situation. And Jim Baker made a lot of mistakes, as I referred to before. Um, But it was a horrible miscarriage of justice. And uh, in 87, and then when he got out, uh, I was never really that good of friends with him. I mean, we just kind of lived in uh, parallel worlds. But I did reach out to him, and uh, I'd actually tried to go visit him once in prison. But it was, they make, well, first of all, you know, they have to be careful who they let in for all kinds of reasons. There were so many hoops to jump through, Hmm. and it was in another state, and so I never went. But after he was out, I remember I found out he was in Orlando where I live. And so I asked him if he wanted to have dinner. So we went to dinner and I just talked to him and just tried to encourage him the best I could. And at that point, he was like lower than low. Oh, wow. But I remember when we walked into the restaurant, you know, I took him to, you know, a, not, a decent restaurant. You know, we didn't go to Denny's or anything like that. And when we walked in here, he had not been out of prison very long. And the staff in the restaurant recognized him, were very polite and almost treated him like a celebrity. And I thought, man, he really is famous. (laughs) Then I've interacted with him some throughout the years. He really does have a good heart, but he has been through it. I mean, his wife left him. He lost. I mean, how would you feel to build a ministry that brought brought in $150 million a year, a year, you know, over a period of years, and, you know, with the buildings they built and everything else, it was huge. And he lost it. He lost it all. He was in prison, in prison, sharing a, a cell with three other men. I mean, think about the humiliation of it. And, and boy, the Lord really humbled him. He really got into the book of uh, Revelation. I think he took uh, Bible college classes by correspondence, which is what we used to call it back in the day. Now we do it online. You know, God really did something kind of beautiful in his life, and he's been a good friend to me. You know, when I've come out with these different books on Donald Trump, you know, he's had me on his show. Of course, I've been on really most of the shows, the Christian shows, you know, from 700 Club kind of on down. and done a lot of secular shows, too. In fact, the secular shows, the Christian shows are usually long, you know. (laughs) The secular ones are like three or four minutes, if that. And even the 700 Club is short. In fact, one of my friends said it should be called the Seven Minute Club because that's how long their interviews are. Wow, but uh, they're great people. And 
and I, I wrote on a topic that people are interested. I wrote in on Donald Trump. People are interested in him, and you know the fact that on the first one got in Donald Trump, which is still widely available. Uh, it was kind of like the miracle of how God almost put his hand on this unknown person and there were prophecies about it. The secular people don't cover that thing. First of all, they don't understand it. And second of all, they don't want to understand it. And third of all, they just think it's so much superstition. But, you know, the fact was that as far back, I documented it in the book. The book is very, very well documented. All three of the books are, you know, not everybody likes the books, of course. You know, I get a few... Uh, reviews on Amazon that are one star, but they, they're like this. This is the review. Only an idiot would write a book about Donald Trump. <laughs> now, how long do you think they spent reading my book? Like, not at all. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. they're just trolls. But no, I've not been attacked by getting any facts wrong oh, wow. or, po- or poor research or anything like that, which, you know, is like really, really important to me. I felt like God and Donald Trump in particular needed, I felt like I was writing history. Like this is a Christian perspective that's not being written and people need to know it. And I really got a good response to it. I mainly did it just because I'd reported on it. I'd interviewed the president. I had gone to his election night party in New York because I thought he at least had a chance to win and the prophets had said it and I got invited and they didn't have to ask me twice. And so I was almost a little surprised when the book sold as well as it did. The, the others have basically been follow-ups. Uh, Trump Aftershock is actually the longest. It's a little bit more academic, probably better researched, kind of really documented the, the earthquake of the first two years he was in office. Mm-hmm. Of course, with the election coming up, I felt I should write God and Donald Trump. I'm sorry, that was the first one. Wrote, write God, Trump, and the 2020 election. We had it come out on January 14th which was, you know, like nearly eight, uh, nine months before the election. If usually an election book would come out like maybe in July or August, but we felt that we wanted to do it way in advance. When I finished the book, the book would have gone to press right around Thanksgiving and the first issues came off the press like right at Christmas. And then, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to get all the books of Walmart and Barnes and Noble and blah, blah, blah. And then I started my media interviews right after the first of the year. COVID-19, China admitted to the World Health Organization, COVID-19, not that maybe anybody wants to know, but, you know, it's really called coronavirus uh, originally. And some people still call it the Wuhan coronavirus. Some people call it the Chinese coronavirus. There are a lot of coronaviruses. And so COVID, COVID is actually a, a kind of a truncation of corona uh, virus. I'm not sure what the D is. Maybe it means date. And the 19 has to do with the year. And if it, they'd done it like a week later, it would have been COVID-20. I mean, I just thought it was kind of interesting how they did that. And, of course, COVID-19 is a little easier to remember and say than coronavirus, which has a whole lot of letters. But um I didn't deal with it, and so that's why I wrote the follow-up. Plus, there's so much interest in the the coronavirus, and we've been uh, covering it, and I've been doing a lot of podcasts on it. You can go on uh, my podcast, notice how I work this in again, and I've done a bunch with people from China. China. In fact, I was given a scoop on February 12th from one of my sources, a preacher friend who knew people in China, 
who said that it did not come from the wet market. It came from a lab and they gave names of people and they were Chinese names. And they even mentioned the name of some lady that supposedly got it out of the lab by accident. And I'm going to this like, I mean, it sounded like the biggest conspiracy theory in the world. And I was going, how do I verify this? I mean, I barely know anyone in China. I do know a missionary named Dennis Balcom. In fact, we've become friends. The only time I've been in China, I went in with him to visit the underground church. And so I track him down online. We had his email address or his phone number or something. And I find him. He's in Africa ministering. And so I asked him, I said, what do I do with this? And he said, well, I don't, he didn't really know how to verify it or but he said um, he lives in Hong Kong, which is part of China, of course. He, and he says, what we hear is the, the Chinese government's lying a lot and the virus is a whole lot worse than it is. But you know what? The churches are booming. Hmm. They're having uh, some of the churches have closed. The others are, are meeting, but you have to wear a mask. And, you know, they check to see if you have a temperature and all that kind of stuff. And, and people are b- wanting to be prayed for and uh, people want to be prayed for on the streets. And, it's, and the church was able to help people who had trouble getting certain things, including masks and, and, you know, really be kind of the hands and arms of Jesus. He was telling me all this stuff. And so I said, this is great. Let's do a podcast. So I did a podcast just like this over Skype with him. I put it on. It becomes the biggest podcast I'd ever had at the time. And it was, it was more like what's happening to the church in China. His name is Dennis Balcom. I've done another podcast with him. It's probably time for me to do a third one. And then I, I've done other. I interviewed a, an American lady, actually a school teacher who went there to teach English, who lived in Wuhan, was out. Uh, you know, they closed everything down around Chinese New Year, and she and some friends actually went down to Thailand on a little vacation. Then they fly back to Wuhan like the very day they shut everything down, and she was like stuck there. And uh, she was able to finally to get out. The State Department helped her get out. But, you know, I talked to her. She was a Christian lady. So I did a podcast with her and a bunch of other stuff. We've done, you know, a lot of articles on Charisma News, which is our website. And and so I thought I just decided, well, I had the idea on April 3rd because, you know, this whole coronavirus has just messed up everything, including the book business. You know, the whole supply chain is messed up. The interesting thing for me is that God Trump in the 2020 election, uh, we got so many copies in Walmart. They took like, I'm trying to remember how many, um, uh, between Walmart and Sam's, I think they took like over 25,000 copies. And so a lot of those copies are still on the shelf. In fact, well, they sold a lot, of course. But so when people are in Sam, in Walmart and Sam's, because they're still open, I guess they must wander down by the book you know, display and they're buying it. The book is actually selling fairly well, considering that we really can't promote it much except for podcasts like this, because, you know, I don't want to be out promoting a book and talk about more Christians are really going to get in trouble if the left takes over, because, you know, there's all these examples of anti-Christian bias and, you know, people that are actually arrested because they're trying to stand on their Christian principles. And, you know, I tell stories and document and all that kind of stuff. And I don't want to be tone deaf. But with this new book, which is actually releasing May 12th, which is only a few uh, 19 days from now, if I remember correctly, you know, I'll be able to talk about it. I think people will buy both. Uh, My attitude is that God Trump, the 2020 election is still valid Hmm. after things return back to normal or some uh, the the issues of 
creeping socialism in our country, the rift between left and right, the uh, what I call spiritual warfare that's going on in our country. All of those are still going to be issues. You know, this virus will be over at some point. I'm glad you're saying that. Forgive me, because people are thinking that this COVID thing, I had a conversation yesterday that COVID's going to be around forever and we're not going to get through this and our lives are forever changed. But thank you for reiterating. We, we've gotten over other. <laughs> our lives are changed because like 9-11 was. I mean, you'll never go through the airport the same again. And, you know, they're going to like freak out now every time there's a virus. But also, I think it's going to change and we're not going to let China have the upper hand. You know, SARS, swine flu yeah. and coronavirus. And really, if they had acted responsibly, it would have only been in China, not the rest of the world. Yeah. And uh, I think that they're going to have a price to pay. I really do. Uh, it'll probably... You know, what they're beginning to say, and I haven't researched this, but but apparently Fauci in the last couple of days said that it looks like the death toll may be the same as the, as the um, common flu. And, you know, we don't freak out over the common flu. And I think people are going to freak out over the common flu. And, I, you know, people probably wear, I may wear a mask when I'm on an airplane or something because you're, sure. you know, it's like you're in a tin can, like Kenneth Copeland said, and, you know, you get all these. So I think that'll change. However, the virus will be behind us. The 1918 virus was actually even worse in terms of how many millions of people died. And it was the month before the end of World War One. The worst month was October of 1918. The war ended, if you remember your history, on November 11th, 1918. And, uh, you know, it's, it's what we uh, celebrate as Veterans Day today. And Woodrow Wilson had to decide to send those boys into battle and a lot of them took the virus with them to France and a lot of the ones in France caught it. It was a mess. And they did shut down schools. They shut down churches. People wore masks. That virus, apparently people would get sick and like three days later die almost before they could get into a hospital and their lungs would fill with fluid and they would actually drown in their own fluid. And one person in the house would get it and it'd kill the whole family. And, uh, you know, they had hospitals and everything, but they certainly didn't have social media to stay in touch. And a lot of things did shut down, even though they did not shut down the war, obviously. You know, now we barely even talk about it. And there were there was a pandemic in Martin Luther's day. Mm. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton that everybody re remembers about uh, the apple falling out of the tree. Uh, he was a very strong Christian. A lot of people don't know that. A very strong Christian. And there was a pandemic. It was 1665. Cambridge was closed for two years. Now, I haven't researched all the details. That seems like a long time to be closed. And people were quarantined. And during that time, I did a podcast on this. During that time, he discovered the law of gravity. He discovered calculus. And he discovered two or three other things. So he used that time very, very well. And I hope that people use this time well. For me, I wrote this book in 13 days. Now, our offices are still open here in Florida. We did not have to shut down. We, a lot of people are working remotely, so we're able to do social distancing easier. But we're, we're going full blast. I was in the office yesterday. I'm actually working from home today, but it's more due to uh, deadlines than it is to uh, uh, shelter in place. But there have been pandemics. There have been worse uh, the bubonic plague killed one-third of the population of Europe, if I'm remembering the statistics correctly. One-third. 
with, uh, let's see how many people are in the world. I think of 6 billion, but it's probably more than that. But let's say it's 6 billion. What's one third of? 2 billion. One third is 6 billion. Is 2 billion people? Is that yes, right? Sir. Yes, sir. 2 billion people dying is a whole lot worse than uh, whatever we're at, 40 or 50,000, which is horrible. I, uh, my, uh, the lady that works in my home just told us this morning that one of her relatives died of COVID-19. And I think it's only the second or third time I've known anyone who knew anyone who died of the virus. You know, it's still a very small uh, percentage, but, you know, we don't want to be we don't want to be careless with being concerned about that kind of thing because it is serious. And part of it is we did not know how bad it was going to get and we did not want it to become the bubonic plague. Part of it with the bubonic plague is, of course, they didn't have very good medical stuff back then. They also didn't know how it was spread. It turned out being spread by rats and the fleas on the rats would bite people. And that's how it was spread. And it took them a long time, I guess, to figure that out, uh, which made it hard to stop. And there were actually a couple of uh, times that the bubonic plague hit. It's clear that this is not the bubonic plague. Uh, but we've kind of turned over our lives to the scientists. And some of these scientists, in fact, I heard, uh, I think it was Dr. Ben Carson said, we cannot wait until the last person in America has recovered from COVID-19 to go back to normal. Because, you know, uh, people have drowned in swimming pools, caught, died in car wrecks and all kinds of things during this shutdown. But we don't fill in all the swimming pools and we don't uh, make people quit driving uh, you know, because there's a danger that somebody might die. You know, the authorities, it's a very difficult situation. I'm glad I'm not having to make the decision. Uh, I think things will come back to normal. I think the economy will bounce back. I really believe it. But also spiritually, um, there's a number of prophets, and this was a big part of the book, God, Trump, and COVID-19, was about what does this mean spiritually? You know, part of the reason I wrote the book, I think, was sort of defend Donald Trump, not that he needs my defense, but he's a strong leader. He was in the right place at the right time. You know, the left is attacking him. There, somebody even tried to call it the Trump virus. But I, you know, when he shut down the visitors from China, they all said he was a, z- a xenophobic, which means he doesn't like people based on their nationality. That had nothing to do with it. I mean, the Democrats were clearly saying they would not have done it, but actually his doing that probably more than anything else slowed the advance of that disease in our country. As bad as it is, it isn't as bad as some other countries. Uh, I think I did read that we have the most number of deaths, but it's also because we're one of the biggest countries on earth. And I personally think that China is lying about their numbers. They just are. Uh, There's all kinds of stories. In fact, I even saw a picture online that somebody had somehow smuggled out of where they were hauling people out of their homes who had COVID-19. The COVID-19 victims, they would get them and cremate them in just, you know, practically a number of hours. Their families, you know, didn't even hardly know where they went. Uh, The doctor uh, blew the whistle on this. His name was Lee. And uh, Dennis Balcom says he was a Christian. And uh, he actually had to, he was forced to sign a confession that he lied, yet he was the one that blew the whistle. And within like two or three weeks after they made him sign that confession, he and seven other uh, scientists, and I document this in Trump and COVID-19, you know, they had to admit to the world that it was true. And they say he died of the disease. But you know what? The Chinese communists are very ruthless and they don't have much concern for human life. And I think... You know, I, I, I try to be careful with uh, conspiracy theories 
But there are some people who think that the communists just killed him to silence him. Their uh, custom over there is to cremate people and to do it quickly. Well, once you cremate them, you know, there's no body to have an autopsy on. And it's easy to say, well, he died of COVID-19. Isn't that tragic? But, you know, we don't know if that's true or not. I guess that's the point we're saying. And just because they said it certainly doesn't make it true because they have lied, 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 lied. And, uh, you know, they've been very, very dishonest in trade and everything else. You know, they're communists. They're communists. And the West, and particularly America, has built their great economic powerhouse. And I really believe that one of the fallouts of this is that countries are going to be very, very, very different dealing with China. I think it's going to hurt them a lot. I think we're also going to bring back the uh, doing pe- uh, penicillin and some of the other medicines. I mean, the huge majority of our supply comes from China. That's just stupid. You know, I mean, they could just shut it down. And there were some examples of where there were different medicines and different uh, ma- masks. You know, some of our masks were made in other countries. And I think it was India that, if I remember correctly, that uh, decided you're not getting these masks. We need them. We're vulnerable to that. So, you know, that is probably a positive thing that will come out of this. So we'll be more careful about that. So I hope that my book, God, Trump, and COVID-19, which is basically coming out in digital, it'll be, uh, we will sell print copies. It, it'll be out a little later, but people can get it as an ebook or as an audio, audible book. Uh, they uh, People can go on the site that I said, GodTrump2020.com. We're not even creating a new site. We're leaving it the same um, because really I'm kind of promoting both books at once, but people can be, can see uh, where they can order. They, there are two chapters. One of the chapters is on China, where I go more into depth on some of the stuff that we're talking about. And the other one is, what is God saying to the prophets? And one of the prophets is David Wilkerson. You probably remember David Wilkerson. And he prophesied in the 80s. I listened to the entire thing. It was so powerful. And at the time, I was like, you know, you you, you envision what he's saying. And you're like, will that really happen? And oh, my gosh, after COVID hit, you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, but he, it was powerful. You know, he said basically that a plague was going to hit. And he didn't say when. And that the churches and bars would be shut down and New York City would be hit and like it ever been hit before. And it was going to force people to pray and they were going to pray and there'll be a great outpouring from God. And he gave this prophecy to Mike Evans. And I believe that Mike is credible. I knew David Wilkerson personally. Mike and Mike is one of my closest friends. And um, Mike wrote it down as notes like I do. I do the same thing when I'm talking to somebody. I've jotted down a couple notes in our conversation. Mm -hmm. I tend to do mine in little black books. I don't tend to keep them real long term. But Mike put it in a Bible. And, you know, a lot of us have Bibles and we get a new one and we don't use the other one. And he found it years later. And it's really his word. But he does have a copy of his handwritten notes. They do. It does look authentic. Um, he is careful not to give them out because he doesn't want someone to destroy it or alter it. Mm. But I believe that he's credible. And it's certainly the kind of thing that David Wilkerson would have said. And it's just very interesting to ponder and say, what is God up to in all this? And so those are the two chapters. It's a free download. They can go to GodTrump2020.com. The nice thing about a podcast is you can back it up, but it's a shortened version of the title of the book. And there's the op-ed I wrote about Jim Baker, which we referred to earlier, and then these two chapters. And it's a free, you know, download of the PDF. I, you know, I, hopefully your your uh, listeners will 
will want to do it and they'll be interested in the book. It will be available on Kindle and Amazon and it'll, we have our own online called, uh, we call it Shopify. I think it's called charismamag.shopify.com. Uh, Shopify is like the service we use. It's, you know, kind of like an automated thing to take your order and, and send the book and so forth. So, uh, and a lot of the books will sell through that. And uh, we're doing it very, very quickly. We're doing it to get the word out. We're doing it partly so that I can have conversations like this with media and to be relevant. Uh, that's very important nowadays, of course. And uh, people are interested in it. And I believe that people are interested in the spiritual perspective. There's only one or two books that even uh, deal with this from a spiritual perspective. And they deal with it from quite a different point of view. Mine is a little bit more of a journalistic point of view to research and so forth. Uh, I have a certain perspective, having written the other books about Donald Trump. There is a lot there about Donald Trump. It's not all about, there's a lot about China and about COVID-19 and about the controversy in our country, a little bit about the election. Uh, I think this is gonna complicate it. Probably the biggest thing is that the economy, which in three weeks, they lost all the gains that we had made in three years. But I also, it's a good thing we started off so well or things would be a whole lot worse. And I also, I think that once there's some stability, that things will will bounce back. And so I hope your listeners will want to read the book. I hope they feel it's interesting. I'd be, if they want to send me a message, they can always do it through our website, which is info at charismamedia.com. Yes. And they're very dutiful about passing them along. And I enjoy, you know, reading what people have to say. No, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. And um, we'll, we will link those in the show notes as well. And so we would highly <coughs> encourage people to check this out. We will. We look forward to that new book, actually. We had read uh, God Trump in the 2020 election, maybe a, what, a few months ago. We did it on Audible. And it was really good. And, and I just actually want to give a quick plug for that, too, because... Well, I need you to go on Amazon and put a good review hey. in. Hey! <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of good reviews, but it makes up for the ones that say yes. only an idiot would write this book. Well, I tell you what, we will do that. We will do that today. We'll, we'll give you a good review on there, um, because we really did enjoy it. And what I- well, Amazon has rules, and their uh, authors aren't supposed to ask for good reviews, so I'm not <laughs> asking for a good review. No, 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 you didn't ask I for I just it. want a review. I know you'll be objective. Oh, yes, no. <laughs> No, for sure. We will be objective. But what I loved about the book was the way you brought together um, different things in a unique way that I don't typically see being brought together. You brought the journalistic side. You brought uh, history. Um, even, even like Lakeland made it in there. I didn't know that Lakeland had a KKK march down main street at one point in its history. And, uh, it's the connection with the democratic party and some, some of the struggles with the Republican party, all that kind of stuff is in there. Listen, I have a copy of it in my office. If you're in, in Orlando, drop by because I worked, I interned at the ledger and I, I had a front page story on the lead in the ledger. And it was important enough to me that I framed it as one of my little mementos. And on that Mm. page was an article about the KKK march that somebody else wrote. So, I mean, I see that from time to time, of course. And so I remembered it when I was writing the book and we went back and researched it. And I vaguely remembered it. Listen, Polk County was pretty strong with the KKK. And I'm old enough to remember when they integrated schools. I went to segregated schools in Polk County until I was in 10th grade. And uh, there was a lot of unrest in Lakeland. Thankfully, it wasn't too bad. No, for sure. You know, it was unfortunate. It was a very, very difficult time in our history. And thank God, things have improved in lots and lots of of ways. But I 
I'm old enough to remember all that. And uh, you're right. I did. I didn't bring it in on purpose. It wasn't like I said, gee, how can I work at Lakeland, Florida? But you know, I, I just personalize it by telling people my own experiences. Yeah, and that's interesting. You know, we, we, we know that about Polk County for sure. So Nerva, you know, her parents are um, from Haiti. So she's first generation uh, born in, in America. And uh, when I brought her home, you know, we, we definitely uh, faced a little bit of Polk County <laughs> going on in that direction. But, you know, we thought it would be interesting. I don't think we're going to have time today, but I would love maybe maybe to have you back on the future and talk a little bit specifically about that chapter. Um, we've both had the privilege to do some stuff with the White House over the years. We, we've have sung there with different administrations and have some interesting stories on that that we'd love to run by you and get your take on it. But what I do love about um, the way you broke up the book, the first part, was understanding what's at stake in the 2020 election. I think many Christians don't really understand what's at stake. And I think um, I was listening recently to an interview with Eric Metaxas, who did the foreword for that book that you wrote, and uh, Oz Guinness, where Oz said, you know, he was commenting on the so-called never Trumpers, um, especially the evangelical never Trumpers. And he said, one of the things that he's noticed is that they're so fixated on Trump oftentimes that they don't see the real battle. They don't see the real danger that's going on. I think many Christians are so taken up with the mainstream media narratives and even just not understanding what really is at stake that I think that that part that you wrote uh, was so instructive and so and it was put so clearly that it really would help people un- to, to get that a little more because it really is a it's a weighty I mean I, I guess I don't know if you would say this I think the 2016 election I've heard even people that really understand history say that was probably the most weighty election since the Civil War, and that this one may be equal or even more weighty. What would, would you agree with that? Well, yes, but also most of us, including um, me, are fairly short-sighted with history. We, <laughs> we tend to see things from our own perspective. Sure. And listen, it seems like my whole life people have said this is the most important exactly. election in history. Yep. And I'm going to tell you something about Billy Graham. In 1952, when he was 36 years old, give or take, he did an article in Christian Life magazine. Now, how do I know this? Because as time passed, we uh, merged Christian Life with Charisma. But Christian Life was the big Christian magazine of its day. And Robert Walker, the founder, was one of my mentors. And and I, I have mementos in my office of my career. And we framed the cover of Christian Life with Billy Graham. Uh, Mr. Walker told me it was the first time he was ever on the cover of a magazine, and it was about the 1952 election, and he was saying it was the most important election of our lifetime. Yeah. And when he turned 95, and there was like this, you know, not long before he died, and uh, Bill Graham Association had, you know, a lot of stuff online and different things. We did some stuff, and I pulled out that article, and we reprinted it. It was interesting to see, and then later when I visited the Billy Graham a museum, and I was talking to a couple of the curators and so forth. I told them about that article. They really wanted a copy of it. So I sent them a copy of it. But I just, the reason I mentioned it was Billy Graham in 1952. You know who ran? It was Dwight Eisenhower against Adlai Stevenson. And uh, he talked about how it was so concerning about socialism and communism. Of course, it was, you know, the height of the Cold War in a way. I don't remember that Adlai you know what? We would consider Adlai Stevenson a, a blue dog Democrat these days. 
In fact, uh, the Democrat and Republican Party were so similar back then that both the Democrats and the Republicans were trying to get Dwight Eisenhower to run because he wow. was a war hero. And he, he, for reasons I don't know, I can only speculate, he picked the Republicans. But I mean, they were that similar. And it, they were different on things like uh, should labor unions strike? That was a big issue back then. You know, it's just changed so much. And and as I said in the book, uh, I was a Democrat for many years, partly because you couldn't vote in the primaries in Polk County if you weren't a Democrat up until <laughs> sometime in the 80s. And our a lot of our elections, especially at the local level, are decided in the primaries. And I didn't switch over to the Republican Party. And frankly, I'd be an independent if it weren't for the primary system in Florida. But I like to vote. I vote in every election and I like to vote in the primaries. And in my area, a very Republican area, uh, most of the uh, elections, especially the local ones, are decided in the primaries. Of course, you can always, even independents can vote in the general election, but you end up voting for like senator and congressman and president, and that's about it, mm. and, a, and a few others here in Florida. But anyway, that's enough about Florida politics. You guys know <laughs> since you lived in Florida, and uh, it's just been great. I kind of lost track of time, but we've got to be wrapping up pretty soon, yeah. don't we? Yeah, we do got to be wrapping up. So um, maybe, maybe one last question. Of course, uh, you know, and, and I got. I was saying basically, I think people should check it out. The most unique addition to all these, I guess, elements that you discuss was this understanding of the spiritual dimension, and that's on part three. And I think, like you, like you said, you cover that in your new book that's about to come out as well, which I think is really interesting. And I tell people, you know, try to like the old uh, famous quote: "Keep a Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other." But also, maybe if you had a third hand, like what are the people with prophetic gifting saying? And I think I didn't know; I wasn't aware of any of these kind of Trump prophecies before the election. And I was I was pretty much like, man, I I don't trust the media. But when they say, you know, he has a ninety eight percent chance of losing, it it might be way less than that, but he doesn't have much of a chance, I still thought. Um now after the fact I discovered a lot of these that you um put in your book, a lot of these prophecies that had taken place documented, many of them going back, I guess, to 2007, um, all the way up through like 2015, even 2016. But it was really interesting, the accuracy. I don't know, some of it was really mind-blowing for me. And I have shared some of those, and I think there's some really interesting ones in the chapter on Kim Clement, and uh, I think you, uh, was it Chuck Pierce, and a few others. But when when you're weighing this stuff out, you said you went to New York because you actually thought this had some merit. In your experience, because you've been in the charismatic movement for many years, how do you, I guess, analyze this stuff knowing that some of these guys, or all of them, not infallible? But some of them are pretty accurate, others are less accurate. But how do you go about assessing it when you hear these things? And what do you recommend for people that are open to prophecy, but they're like, eh, do we, how much stock do we put in that stuff? Well, it's a good question. And it's what the Bible calls discernment or discerning of spirits. And, you know, the New Testament says that prophecy should be judged. Now, it's saying that within the context of the church, of course. I like to tell people that scripture in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, now we see through a glass darkly. And I believe that a lot of people who see prophetically, and I believe that people are gifted that way. I believe that God gives an, an anointing that way. In fact, uh, one of the young prophets that I uh, at least for COVID nineteen, the COVID nineteen book was Jeremiah Johnson, who's from Polk County, and I think that God does show them things. Now, the prophetic has been used, just like the gospel has been used, 
to build ministries or whatever. And a lot of the prophecies are frankly, you know, I prophesy you're going to have a baby type thing. <laughs> or they'll prophesy, they'll prophesy kind of what they w- would hope would happen. You know, like I, I prophesy that all of California is going to come to Jesus. You know, I mean, it's like, yeah, we all hope that would happen. But, but also I've heard like even with 9-11, there were a number of ministries that said that the Lord had shown them that that was going to happen, but and, he, and it may have happened. That may be true, but there was no documentation. So when these prophecies started, and frankly, I was a Ted Cruz guy to start with, and I started hearing them compare Trump to Cyrus and so forth, I thought, I'm going to document this. We're going to get it in writing. And I know a couple of the prophets that prophesied it that did so, but like with the disclaimer, like, you know, we think this is God's will, but of course, people have to really pray. And if they don't pray hard enough, maybe God's will won't happen or something. I mean, I'm ex- I'm using a little bit of hyperbole, but the ones you mentioned, of course, Kim Clement never backed down from it. He died the same month that Trump was elected, and he prophesied that Trump would be elected twice. In fact, uh, in, in that book, it was, I knew Kim Clement personally, but when I wrote God and Donald Trump, he had just died. Um, I don't know. I didn't want to bother his family. I just took stuff from the public domain. I didn't write about him at all in Trump Aftershock. There's probably no reason. But I knew about the prophecy. And of course, it's on YouTube. I mean, probably over a million people have watched it. And um, I put it on the record knowing that if it didn't happen, it would be like real embarrassing. But I just felt we should put it on the record. So we put it on the record online. We put it in print in Charisma magazine. Was I a little nervous? Yes. But I also felt that God was somehow, it's like Mike Bickle, the leader from Kansas City, who's in the prayer movement, he uh, he said millions of people were praying that God would raise somebody up, and we, but we had nobody in mind, as his way of saying that he raised up Donald Trump. And, you know, the way I've said it on interviews is God raised up somebody we didn't even like. You know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm totally opposed to gambling, and I have to sort of overlook the fact that Trump made a lot of his billions in gambling. And I'm very strong for the stability of marriage. And I have to just kind of decide it's not going to bother me that he's had three uh, wives. You know, I do think, I really, really, really believe that he's made some kind of commitment to the Lord. And it's like Dr. James Dobson said, if anything, he's a baby Christian. But, you know, he doesn't live in the evangelical world. He doesn't know all the, he doesn't know how to talk about the anointing and walking in the fullness of the spirit and, you know, all the things that we talk about in church. He's a little crude. He uses a few words that would have gotten me in trouble when I was a kid. But <laughs> sadly, it's kind of become part of the culture. You can't, you turn on late night television, you hear it all the time. But, but there are some pious, pharisaical Christians who suddenly just don't want anybody that they don't approve of. You know, sadly, the people at Christianity Today, which is a great magazine, it was started by Billy Graham. You know, they they came out against Donald Trump because we just can't lower ourselves to support somebody imperfect. I'm going like Hillary Clinton is more perfect. Bernie Sanders, Sleepy Joe. Tell me who you're going to vote. Well, they vote for a third party, somebody you never heard of. Well, whenever you vote for a third party, you're voting for the winner, whoever that is, because you helped them win, (laughs) you know, because the other person might have won if enough people had voted for them. In fact, uh, you know, with the election in 2000, which we remember down here in Florida, because it's where our vote count and count and counted, you know, for what was it, 30 some days, 36 days. Right. uh, It was really the guy who flipped that election was... um, 
Ralph Nader. Uh, most of the people that voted for Ralph Nader would have voted for Al Gore. Same thing happened with George H.W. Bush. Uh, Ross Perot ran against him and, and split the anti-Bill Clinton vote. Mm. Uh, Bill Clinton won less than a majority. And uh, Ross Perot siphoned off enough votes. That's just what happens with third-party candidates. I don't believe in that. So I'm not sure where I was going with that. But <laughs> I guess I was talking about the Pharisees. And, you know, I hate yeah. I know these people of Christianity. I hate to call them Pharisees, but they they're pious like Pharisees, and they kind of look down their nose. Frankly, they look down their noses on all Pentecostals and Charismatics. They just do. Mm. And, uh, it, you know, it's kind of sad that those divisions exist in the body of Christ. And I, over the years, I've tried to work with them in various things, would work with them more if they had ever reached out. But I, I don't want I want to be very careful not to speak badly of my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I consider anyone who's named the name of Jesus to be, you know, my brother or sister in Christ. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's really good. And and kind of dialing going back to um, you actually you said you went to New York. You, but you went there in anticipation that he could possibly be elected partially, you said, because of some of these prophecies? Like, well, did, yeah. Because, did you, because you knew some of those guys, did, they, did yeah, it carry some clout with you? Well, first of all, I went all in for Trump. All in. I thought, you know, I'm going to use every bit of influence, every bit of our platform. You know, other people have much bigger platforms, of course, but we have a circle of influence. Actually, everybody has a circle of influence, even if it's just with you know, 25 people who are their neighbors or go to their church or are their relatives. But and I decided I'd use every bit I could to try to get him elected. And Daryl Scott, who is the pastor from Ohio, an African-American who came out very strongly for him. I had him on my podcast before the election and we were talking about Trump, blah, blah, blah. And he said he was going to the election party. I guess it was off mic. He said he could get me in, and I said, great. The thing is, I thought, if God has spoken, if God has truly spoken, he has raised up Donald Trump, he will be elected. We will be saved from Hillary Clinton. You know, people ask me why I voted for Donald Trump. It was because he wasn't Hillary Clinton. You know, <laughs> they talk about never Trumpers. I was an ABC voter. Anybody but Clinton. <laughs> and, of course, I came to like Trump. Uh, he's very winsome. If he, Boy, if you're on his good... I mean, even when he gives these talks with the COVID-19 thing, you know, he'll he'll say all these nice things about these governors that hate his guts, you know. But I mean, within the COVID-19, you know, they're cooperating. I mean, even Cuomo and different ones like that. But of course, if they if they cross him or attack him, you know, he'll push back really hard. And frankly, I admire that the conservatives and the Republicans in general they try to be nice guys, and of course, you need to be nice guys, but you can't be a nice guy to a bully who's trying to injure you. It's, yeah. it's called self-defense. Yeah. You know, the, the left loves to attack, and they love to just tear you down and make it like you're a non-person and a horrible person, and everyone should hate you, kind of like they've done to Jim Baker. And it even if you admit it even affected you. It affected your view of Jim Baker, you know, even though you don't know him personally. Yeah. And they try to do this. And the Republicans, they try to be real nice and move a little bit to the left. And maybe they'll appease him and maybe they'll leave him alone. Donald Trump stands up to him. You know, it's almost like, hey, we got a hero. And of course, I've articulated this. I've now written, I had to figure out how many words I've written, but, you know, around 300,000 words for these books that I've written about him. And um, I feel like I know him pretty well, and I try to be objective. I try to list both sides. I try to explain very carefully why I'm saying it the way I'm saying it. So 
I, that was a long answer to a short question. No, that's good. Well, thank you so much, Steve. And I, I wish we had like another three or four of these to, to chat because you're just a wealth, awesome. of, so wealth awesome. of knowledge and experience. So thank you for taking the time to uh, be with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. And again, people can go to GodTrump2020.com. They can download the PDF, the two chapters. They can see the op-ed. They can find out how they can pre-order it or order it. And um so I hope they'll take advantage of it. And, you know, also uh, when they do that kind of thing, they support what we're doing. You know, not that we're begging for support or anything. But, you know, the thing is that if people aren't supporting you after a while, you can't afford to keep doing it. And, and one little light goes out and we need more Christian journalists, more Christian ministries, more authors and books who are speaking up for good things. And uh I just say that in case it uh, resonates with anyone. Well, I applaud your courage and you're willing to stand when no one else is standing in, in your field. It's been very inspiring. And thank you. Thank you for all your work and years and years of ministry. I mean, it's been you painted some pictures today. just really told some behind the scenes stories that really open our eyes. And two things that stick out to me is the same people that are attacking that attack Jim Baker. They hate all Christians, they hate us. And so just to be aware of the battle and that you feel that 95% the media are, are liberal, you know, and so that's just, just eye-opening stuff to remember and uh, the battle. And you're you're in the field where <laughs> the battle is, is, is just so thick and that's the means by which they're they are um abusing and bullying and and all that so but just thank you your podcasts your books i mean they've been so inspiring and so helpful and knowledgeable and just um yeah building our faith so we appreciate you and all your work well thank you 10 times you guys are great and it was an honor to be on with you god bless you We hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve Strang. We'd love to hear your feedback and comments. You can interact with us on Instagram at FreeMindFM or on Twitter at FreeMindFM. You can also like our Facebook page and comment there, FreeMindPodcastFM. You can email us, podcast at FreeMind.FM. And if you haven't yet, we would really appreciate a five-star rating and comment in Apple Podcasts. The more five-star ratings and comments we get, the higher we would go in search results when people search for worldview, truth, Christianity, all that kinds of things. So if you could do that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll see you next time. Come on, come on.